So Ecclesiastes 12, we'll read the chapter to begin with and learn some things from it this morning for our lives. Beginning in verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Father, we ask You now that You would, through Your Spirit, open our eyes to the truth of your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would spotlight our hero, Jesus, and you would show us a path of following him out into our everyday lives for the sake of your glory, for the sake of our neighbors. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, and so we we want to, to be a grateful and thankful people, remembering those who have not only served our country, but particularly on Memorial Day, those who gave their lives so that we could gather here this morning and freely worship. I personally have never been a part of a war or any type of military scenario, but I've talked to people who have. We've had people that have came through even the life of our church who have served in wars and have listened to them share the stories. And one word that I think summarizes all that I've heard and even other family members of mine of what it is like to be in a situation like that, a war zone, is disorienting. And so that much of the preparation that goes into preparing someone for battles like these is to put them in situations to where they feel completely out of control, where there's just loud noises, explosions going on around them. There's screaming going on around you. And then all of a sudden, maybe dead silence that can be as, every bit as terrifying as the noise. 
for any of us who would like to glorify such things like war, y'all, all you have to do is talk to somebody who's been involved in it, and it is not a very glorifying thing to them. In fact, most of the people that I've known that have been a part of such things, they do not want to talk about it. The stories have to be drug out of them because it was something that was just so disillusioning, disorienting, and disturbing that they rarely want to speak of such things again for fear of having to relive it somewhere in their minds. Now all of us to some degree, and maybe not to that degree, will find ourselves in seasons of our lives where we feel like that. Again, not to that degree and maybe not to that type of level of disturbance, but where it feels as if everything around you is falling apart. It feels as if there's almost like a a, a fault line, an earthquake is happening, and the ground is moving beneath your feet. Where you really forget why you're alive. You question who you are. You question what it means to be a human. And you may even question what it means to know God. We just want to say that this is not just our church saying this. The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of saying, you don't have to hide that. You don't have to always put on a good face and act like you have it together. I mean, you just read through this book, and I believe what the Spirit is doing is inviting us to say, we can be honest, and yet we can have hope. We can be honest about the hardships of life in a fallen world, and yet we don't have to become sarcastic, cynical, mean-spirited people who just spread doom and gloom wherever we go. And that is going to be a journey we're all on in our lives to live into that tension of being an honest people and a hope-filled people. But this is what God's Word is calling us to. We live in a very unwhole world, W-H-O-L-E, and a very unholy world at times. And the temptation for some of us is just to quit and go home. It's just to give up. It's to say this is just too much. I can't take it. I can't make it and let the darkness win. This is the beauty of the gospel according to Ecclesiastes, though, is that although we live in an unholy world, an unholy world, we serve a whole God. We serve a holy God. We serve a God who doesn't look into the darkness and turn and go the other way, but sends the one whom we know is the light of the world whom the darkness can never defeat. And we have one to follow in the midst of the disorientation of the fight that we have to fight known as life. We have one who is our strength. And we have a a good word here that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. We could say it this way, that the whole duty of man in an unholy world is to find our wholeness in God. The whole duty of man, if you, in the disorientation of it all, what, what do I do? How do I take my next step? The whole duty of man in an unholy world is to find our wholeness in God. But we have to talk about the conflict, and it's brought out here again in verses 1, in verses 2 through 8, really verses 1 through 8. So we see laid out in these verses really this, this picture that we've seen again and again already that death is coming. Okay, we don't like to talk about death, right? We just want to say words like passed away. That's okay if you say that, right? We like to say they've 
gone on to a better place. True. All these things are true. But, it, but I'm like that too, so I'm talking to myself. I don't like to say that word, they died. Maybe you're like that. Have you ever noticed? It's hard to say, they died. Maybe you are thinking you're crazy, and it's just me. It's hard to say it, isn't it? Death is hard. But if Ecclesiastes is doing anything, it's trying to prepare us for that reality. And so we see in these, in these verses that from the days of our youth, we are to be prepared. So this is for all of us. So you hear the word youth, and that does mean if you're in here and you're younger, maybe you need to really listen up. But for all of us, this is God's word. All of these images that we see in verses 2 through 8 is, is just that we have already been prepared for the hardships of life before they get here. Some of us who are a little older in here, and I know we have some even, even older than I am, have talked about, you know, kind of when we were younger, whether it was intended or not, kind of felt like we were told, hey, if you just, if you just work hard in school, you know, you'll have this job that is your dream that you love every day, and you'll live happily ever after. Well, there's something about getting to midlife, and I would assume even getting to the end of life, that kind of sobers you a little bit. This is why people like me can have midlife crises. It's because you get to a certain age to where you think, hey, that's probably not going to change. <laughs> and again, disoriented, right? We've got to make peace with this. And God in His graciousness here is not, you know, coming to rain on our parade. He just wants you from an early age to say, what does it look like to live a good life in light of the realities that we're all going to face? In light of the realities that we are going to age. In light of the realities that our strength is going to wane. In light of the realities that death is coming. And in light of one big reality is once you get there, you don't get to go back and do it again. Ecclesiastes is wanting us to see that our lives need to be lived in light of something way bigger than the immediate moment that we're in. When we're younger, we tend to think we're invincible. When we're younger, it's very easier to live just right now. Right? I don't think beyond today. What will make me feel good today? What will I get immediate satisfaction or gratification from today? We use phrases like YOLO, right? You only live once. But we use them devoid of this perspective that God wants to give us. We, we've shared this many times, but for those who are, are familiar with John Piper's sort of epic sermon that he preached at a passion conference, I believe it was maybe in the year 2000. Somebody may can correct me if I'm wrong. And it sort of just awakened a generation. And I posted the video this week even, and you can see all of these uh, college students, teen, uh, high school students sitting on this lawn, just thousands of them, and it's just like they're all like having the, the hammer dropped, right? I've never thought of life this way before. Because what he does is basically get up and he's saying what Ecclesiastes is saying. He's saying, this world is telling you that your life is supposed to be all about you just making as much money as you can make, being as comfortable as you can make it, 
You get a nice job, he says. I can't do it as good as him. Should have just showed the video, right? You have a nice relationship. You, you have a nice car. You have a nice house. And then you die. Right? That we get caught up in this dream of possessions, of all the things that Solomon has said don't work. And then he tells this story of these two ladies in their late 70s or early 80s who instead of giving their lives to that, moved overseas and gave their life to making Jesus known among the poor and sick people of the nations to the glory of God. And he tells about them getting the report that these two ladies on their way into this difficult village had 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 a horrible accident where their car went off a cliff and they died. And he and he asked them, "Is that a tragedy to go out like that?" And then he compares it with the classic Reader's Digest article about a couple who, as soon as they retired, moved to the beach and spent their last 10 to 20 years collecting seashells. Because that's the story we tell in our culture, right? As you work hard, you get a lot of stuff for yourself, and then you just coast off into eternity. Which one is the tragedy? This is what Solomon is saying. This is what the Spirit is saying. So whether you consider yourself a youth and here or not, I can't do that anymore. It's we all need to say, how am I going to live my life to the fullest to the end? That doesn't got to look the same for everybody in here. Right? We're not putting a legalistic straitjacket on what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what we do want to say is we want to live life to the fullest to the end for the glory of God. And why we need to remember this and why we've got to have this etched into our souls is because when you do that, it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's actually even going to be harder in the church world because everybody around you is going to feel guilty because you're giving it all for Jesus. You've got to be ready for that. It's sad, but it's the reality. There's so much cynicism. These are the, the alternatives, right? You see life is hard. You guys know, this is, what we, this is why our church exists, is we're like saying, we're going to do this. We're going to put all the chips in on following Jesus. We're going to make the sacrifice. We've been doing it long enough to know that that doesn't come with people giving you cookies and saying, good job. <laughs> We could grow cynical. Nothing matters. We could grow romantic. It's not that bad. Let's just pretend like it's not that bad. We could get sentimental. Remember the good old days. We could get legalistic and judgmental and say, oh, well, at least we're doing it better than X other church or whatever. Or we could say nothing really matters, so let's just try to have fun right now. But God is calling us to something above all of that. Where do we find our hope? 
verses 1 and 9 through 11. As we look at that conflict so clearly, we also need to say we need something else to see. We need a guide. Verse 1, if you can click back there, Chris. We see this starts with what, what is the, the anchor? What is the, the ballast here as we ride the, the ship of discipleship into the waves of a fallen, futile, and fleeting world? Is we must remember our Creator. Remember your Creator. He's saying here, don't wait until it's time. Don't wait until things get hard, or don't wait until you're you're getting close to death to remember God. He's saying, don't have this view that I'm going to give Jesus my afterlife, but not this life. Which that's the way the gospel's understood in Cleveland, Tennessee, for many people, right? I give Jesus my afterlife, but not life now. And then as I get older and I get closer to that afterlife, then I lean into following Jesus more. Right? Younger people in here, here's here's how it goes. I go to church. My parents kind of make me. Then I go to college. I do whatever I want. And then I get out of college, and I get life set up for me, on my path of personal success. And then when I have children, I say, you know what? We ought to get the kids in church. I want them to grow up with good morals like I had. And then you get them in there, and then they make you a leader. That's how, that's how it works. That's not the way of the kingdom, though. The way of the kingdom, whether you're in high school, in college, or middle-aged like me, or older, is that you say, my, I am not my own creator. I am not the master of my fate, the master of my own destiny. But I do have a creator. I have a God and I remember Him. And if you're here, you're in elementary school, you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college, or again my age, is to, to already now for the first time or to begin to let God, your Creator, be the center of the solar system of your life. And that you make every, every decision with Him as the most ultimate reality. The center of your story because He's the only thing that can hold. From a young age, relationships will fall apart. Things won't be perfect in our families. As you move into the workforce, you will find how hard it is. As you grow, you will find how needy you are when you thought you were growing into independence. You find yourself growing into more dependence. And all the other things that you think will hold you at that time, possessions, wealth, power, position, the, they will not hold you when it all falls apart. But you have a Creator who will. A Creator who is before creation. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking this world into existence merely by the word of His power. A Father God who is before the fall, who is good. So this world is often bad. And you just learn more of that 
the longer you live. But the opportunity is to learn more of how good God is. Because He is a God who is before the fall, but also a God who is over it. That as we look into all these things, we don't see a God here who merely through His author is describing a fallen creation of of futility, of, of brokenness, and of death. But we know that the Creator became the created so that we, His creation, could become new creations. We know that God, our Creator, is the one who in the person of Jesus Christ lived in the evil days. I mean, this is amazing. This is the gospel of grace. Is God could have distanced himself from this dark, depressing world sometimes that we live in. But instead, he chose to walk it with us. Jesus chose to be tempted in every way that we are tempted. And if you've never thought about what that means, that is crazy amazing. So anytime you're being tempted this week, think, Jesus knows what this is like. Anytime you want to quit, anytime you want to give in to a sin, Jesus voluntarily chose to endure that experience for you and to endure it perfectly on your behalf. And not only did He choose to walk through all of this and experience it perfectly on your behalf, is He chose to die the death that you deserve to die for giving in to all of these things so much. For your cynicism, for my cynicism, how many times have we just said, nothing matters, why do I even try? God, why'd you give me, you know, why'd you deal these cards to me, God? The times we've not wanted to deal with it and we've just pressed through and God wanted to lead us to Him through the wreck of our emotions. And we said, I'm not going to you, God. I'm I'm going to to Netflix or I'm going to this hobby or I'm going to this food. For others more extreme, I'm going to this drug or I'm going to my work. All those false saviors that we chose, that we choose, not just chose, but choose to follow when life doesn't make sense. We deserve God's judgment for that, but Jesus said, I'll take that judgment for you. The creator who's not only before and over the fall, but the one who is after. Not trying to be Debbie Downer. This, these verses are saying we, we've all got a, a ticket to the grave barring the return of Jesus. But the reason we can look at that honestly and we can say words like death is because we know that we serve a Savior who has defeated death. And this is really good news. We can defy the darkness We can look at it and through our tears and through our brokenness when everything is falling apart in our lives, in our families, in our world, in our ambitions, in our dreams, and then ultimately when our bodies are failing, 
we can know this does not have the last word because Jesus is risen and He reigns. This is really good news because we have our Creator that is the shepherd. And this is verses 9 through 12. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. A shepherd is what we need in this world. We are sheep. We are easily led astray. We're on a path and we, and we see, oh, that looks like good grass. And we don't care that it's by a cliff. We're sheep who often can fall prey to many voices of wolves. We're sheep who find compelling many other philosophies, many other books, studies, wisdom in the world. I mean, basically, the history of philosophy is wrapped around the question of how do we make sense of the fact that there's so much evil in the world and brokenness and yet we're called to live this life on earth as humans but we have a shepherd for those reading this in this setting shepherd would have been connected to king David was the shepherd of Israel Solomon his son is writing us is calling us to follow this one who gave his life for us the one we know in John 10 is the good shepherd he knows our voice. Isn't that good to know that you can be in the darkest, most disorienting time of your life and you cry out, Abba, Father, and God knows your voice. I probably have some kind of inferiority complex, Cassie tells me, because I assume that people don't remember me all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm sure they don't remember me. Melanie's got to see this little work around. I'm sure they don't remember me. I would just assume, like, I'm not important enough for people to remember. But the good news is, however you feel, and if you ever felt like that to some, like, you are known by the shepherd of the universe. That wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, you just lift your voice, and he hears it, and he says, that's Melanie my daughter when that voice may not even come out audibly but just comes out in your mind he hears it he knows you he loves you he feeds you he protects you and he calls us to know him when I was growing up me and my dad would watch a lot of army movies and uh who knows, there's probably some marathon on this weekend because it's Memorial Day. And I don't know the right way to say this, but I remember one of the scenes probably as a kid. I was probably watching stuff I shouldn't be. My mom didn't know. My dad didn't care. My mom didn't know. But anyway, uh, is they, whenever they would capture somebody and they would start to torture them, I think this is somehow related to the Geneva Code too, if y'all know anything about that. The soldiers were trained to just sort of state their... I think their name and to state their uh, rank and then some other number. 
So it's like they're sitting there, right, and they're, they're all tied up, and they're getting stabbed with a knife, and it's like, Private Rusty Legford of the 1st Division, blah, 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 number, 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 number. And I just remember that. It was like, I'm not giving you any information. I'm not going to rat out my country. This is all I'm going to say is who I am and who I serve. I was just thinking as, as I was preparing this is that this is remember your creator. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And that, that's what we're being called to do. When life gets really hard and we don't really feel like we know anything anymore. When nothing is turning out how we thought it was and the enemy is sitting there trying to get us to deny Christ. He's trying to get you to quit on the mission he's called you to. He's trying to get you to throw in the towel. He's trying to get you to, to just choose another path of compromise. Is in those moments, we're back to our questions we use all the time. Who is God? I don't know anything else right now, but who is God? And we recite, He's Father. He's Creator. He's Shepherd. He's Faithful. This is why learning the attributes of God is no mere just theological issue. This is about making it. What has He done? Question two. It doesn't look like He's doing anything for me right now. What has He done though? What do I know? He created this world. He gave His Son for me. He gave me His Spirit. So who am I? I don't know who I am anymore, right? This great question that every, everyone wrestles with. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a servant. I am a missionary filled and sent with the Holy Spirit. We may not know a lot, and some days in our lives we may not feel like we know anything about what's going on anymore, but we can know who God is, what He's done and who we are in Him. And out of that then we get just these summary of these marching orders in verses 13 and 14. What does this look like practically? Into this book, it's thrown us a lot of curveballs and prepared us for a lot of the curveballs that come in our lives. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What a statement. The whole duty of man. You want to memorize a verse? Good one to memorize. What's the whole duty of me as a human? What does it look like for me to live a good life in a fallen world? Is to fear God and keep His commandments. It's amazing how close this mirrors Jesus' great commission. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I am with you to the end of the age. What is he saying? All authority is mine. So submit to me as king over all. And teach everyone to obey everything that I command. Sometimes when we hear this phrase, fear God or the fear of the Lord, 
We misunderstand it. It's not to be horrified of a God who has unpredictable anger. But it's also not, we don't want to just sort of explain away the word fear, but it's also not to view him as like chummy grandpa in the sky who we just walk in and, you know, tick, kick our shoes off and eat our hot Cheetos or whatever you like. It's this view of him as the most compelling, ultimate reality in all of the universe. And it's amazing because as we know who this God is that we're called to fear, it's not that we're horrified of His presence, it's we're drawn to His presence. Unlike other religions and philosophies, the fear of the Lord doesn't make us want to to run away from Him, but if we understand who He is in His holiness and in His grace and through the finished work of Jesus, it actually makes us want to run to Him. Because we know there's nowhere else in the world we're safe. Because there's no one or no thing that is bigger, stronger, or better than God. And then we're ready to obey Him. Because we trust Him as our covenant-loving Lord. And we see that obedience to His command is not something we do out of legalistic duty, but out of loving trust. What in the other piece of the wisdom literature of the Bible we hear that we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We fear the Lord and we obey His commands. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been into the escape rooms. This is a fun thing to do. I think there's some in Chattanooga where you basically go and they lock you in a room and then you get to try to get out. Amazing what we pay for for fun here, right? (laughs) Lock me up, and I'll pay you to let me get out. It is fun, though. But one of the things is, is they, they tell you, is we're not going to give you like a lot of hints, but we will tell you everything that you need to know to get out of this room is in the room. It's going to be hard, but just remember that. Everything you need is right here. Work together with these basic instructions, and you can make it. I think this is what God is saying here. It's like, Life's confusing, alone, as families, and as a church. But if we can orient ourselves around this, the fear of the Lord, understand that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then a commitment to trust God and obey Him, however else we're responded to by this world. And if we can do that together, we can make it. We can make it. There's a verse, Acts 31. I think we have it here, Chris, on the next slide. This is amazing if you've ever noticed this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How did the church grow in the book of Acts? They walked in the fear of the Lord. How did they endure under such persecution? How did they endure under such threat and under such hostile situations? It was because they saw a God who was bigger, stronger, and better than the Roman Empire. They would rather the Roman Empire chop off their heads 
than be disloyal to the God who had loved them and saved them and whom they knew would bring them through the judgment as His children on the other side. And that filled them with the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they grew. In a world of compromise, if we're going to be a compelling community, then we just got to not really care what everybody else thinks and say, God, you're the ultimate reality. We're following you. And it may even help us to, to remember the old hymn. We don't sing this here. Melanie, I'm sure she would. It's trust and obey. Right? If we had like an old-fashioned invitation at the end, that would probably be the one we'd have chose this week, right? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's Ecclesiastes. Bombs are dropping all around us sometimes. We don't know where we're at, what's going on. But we have a Father whom we can trust. A Savior who's been there for us and a Spirit who wants to comfort us. We just got to, with our holy imagination, what would it look like for our missional communities? For us as individuals to have these tables spread throughout our whole city of people who fear the Lord and obey Him regardless of the cost knowing that the whole duty of man in an unholy world is to find our wholeness in God.